Hello and welcome to the Industry Observer podcast presented by APRA AMCOS. I'm Poppy Reed, Managing Editor at 7th Street Media and host of the Industry Observer podcast. In this episode, I chat to someone I've quietly admired for some time, Jenny Sager. She's Twitter's Head of Entertainment Asia Pacific. Jenny and I sat down at Twitter's Blue Room in Sydney to chat about Twitter's video strategy, how artists use Twitter versus how they should use Twitter, and the rumors surrounding bots and fake accounts. Jenny Sager, thank you so much for sitting down with me for the Industry Observer podcast presented by APRA AMCOS. Thanks for taking out um, a slice of your time, which I know you have a very busy schedule. No, thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. You've come up with a few global firsts for Twitter. I mean, one of the first things that I learned about you was that you created the globally adopted Blue Room, which we are sitting in. Thanks for having (laughs) me. Um, And then, of course, you had the Cody Simpson live shows for fans. What other global firsts have I missed there? Yeah, one of my favorites is a collaboration that I did with Foxtel here where we created a show called Tweet the Beat. And so that is the world's first show that is completely controlled by Twitter users. So what happens is users tweet, you know, what videos they want to see and that determines what music videos are shown on the show. They also show videos based on Twitter trends and Twitter moments. So it's the first show anywhere in the world that actually consists and is formed completely by Twitter content. I had no idea that that was you. Yeah. That is yeah, amazing. So yeah. tell me about that process. Like where where did it start? Where did that idea build to become the beast that it is now? Yep. So obviously I had done smaller scale campaigns with Foxtel and with Channel V. And we enjoyed working together and we were kind of workshopping different ideas. And I just suggested, you know, that obviously they had really engaged fans on Twitter and music fans are highly engaged on Twitter. And I said, we could do something really cool in this space. Like, what if we let them actually control the show? And they loved the idea. And then we had weekly meetings where we developed the show together and literally down to the point where we created the show rundown together and the content and everything around it. And it's been an absolutely awesome partnership and now we're exploring you know how do we build off of that and continue to do bigger things yeah wow so that's and is that is that australian only is that national yeah so that show is only in australia but obviously being twitter you can consume the content anywhere yeah so your your history is quite embedded in television yeah you know that's quite a nice little segue for me actually (laughs) so um like it's almost like your previous roles at MTV and NBC led you to where you are now. Yeah. How much of what you learned at MTV and NBC uh, do you use today at Twitter? Absolutely, a ton of it. I mean, I think, you know, music number one has always played a huge part in my career. No matter what TV network I was working for, there was always a music element. So, for example, even when I was running the Today Show, we would have bands come and perform live, and I was a huge um, part of deciding, you know, who came on and what we were doing with that content and the entertainment content. So even when I was working on kind of news-based shows, entertainment and music was still a part of that. I think at each job that you do, you're always picking up skills and learnings that roll into the next one. Um, you know, my role at Twitter is to drive high quality content on on the platform and come up with creative campaigns for partners. And when you're working in production and TV, what are you doing? You're coming up with creative ideas for shows and executing that for the network. So, of course, it all rolls into each other. Um, and, you know, I'll always love television. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about, a bit about your creative process for a moment. So um, how does it start like what comes first when you're building these kind of campaigns? 
I think the number one thing to always think about is what is the partner's objective? A lot of times people can go into meetings and just be, you know, pushing products or pushing company objectives, but it's never going to work if you don't actually hear from the client or the partner first. So I think that's always the number one step is what are they trying to achieve and then build off of that. Um, And then, of course, we look at analytics. So are they trying to grow their audience? Are they trying to just get more engagement? Is there something specific that they want to promote? Um, and then we're building a creative campaign around that. No two campaigns are exactly alike because it is custom for, for the partner. So um, it just starts with, you know, what are they trying to achieve? Hmm. So data does play quite a big role in your job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're always looking at engagement, impressions, um, follower growth, and then obviously deeper analytics. We can go into video views, things like that. And all of that feeds into, again, what they're trying to achieve. So for example, they might be in the music space, they might be looking to promote an album or to just grow their audience or to announce a tour. So we're developing something to go along with that. Okay. And how do you measure your own success, both you know, in your role and also what you achieve for the clients that you work with? Yep. Um, So metrics again. So looking at those kind of deeper analytics and metrics, we will always give the partner a a post report from the campaign. Um, I also always think about, for me personally, as you know, I love to think big. So I'm looking at what's going to generate press coverage for for the partner. So if you use the Cody example, Obviously, you know, he's an independent artist. He had more than 150 TV pieces, radio interviews, print and online articles around that campaign. That's coverage that an indie artist would have never gotten on their own. So looking at how we can blow that up for the partner is key. And then if revenue is an objective for them, we do have revenue models now. So obviously looking at those metrics at the end also. What what are the kinds of revenue models that you have? Yeah, so we build um, custom campaigns that we can bring brands on board to sponsor. So they're like sponsorship campaigns. So again, using the Cody example, we bought A and Z on board. Um, We are executing just dozens of those campaigns every month in Australia and through Asia Pacific right now. So it depends if that's an objective for the partner or or not. Um, we'll also be launching some other you know, revenue products later this year, which will help our partners make money off the platform too. Amazing. I read your one-of-one interview, of course, and it made me understand just how <laughs> busy you are. I was like, oh, how does she fit it all in? Um, and then, of course, I featured you in the Women in Tech um, feature on the Industry Observer. Um, but I want, I'm interested to know, what's your response to people who gush over the fact that you're this music tech executive who's also a woman? Like, do you uh, find it offensive? Is it empowering? How do you feel? That's an interesting question. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, it's funny. I read an article the other day that was saying we shouldn't be praising men when they do something for their kids because, you know, they're the father. So it's, it should be expected like it is of the woman. And I feel like there's a little bit of that in this where we shouldn't be um, overly praising women just because they're women. But then at the same time, you go, well, it's, you know, it's actually a situation where we actually are not still seen as equals in any industry. So that's where that praise does come from. So sometimes it can be empowering because you think, oh, well, I've, I've done something that's broken through that ceiling that is there so it's a little bit of both I think Um, it's empowering but then also sometimes 
you go, well, this, you know, um, why should I get the extra, you know, the extra praise? We should be equal. So, yeah, it's, it's kind yeah, of a I totally one. get where it's kind of dichotomous, yeah. isn't it? It's like on one hand, um, yes, I am achieving amazing things um, for women, but I'm also achieving amazing things for any gender. For, right. Like, exactly. I'm good at my job. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is, like, <laughs> I'm also just doing my job. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So I exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's touch on the changes that you've noticed at Twitter since you joined back in August 2014, I think it was. Um, Have you seen a change in users' behavior over the years? Well, I think there's a few big things. So one in general, and if we're talking specifically about the music space, like music is still one of the top topics discussed on Twitter. So people are still coming to our platform for music content, music discovery, to engage with their favorite artists, to just join the conversation around that music content. So that hasn't changed, but I think that, and what's really exciting now, I think the platform has gotten a lot easier to use. We've made a lot of product updates, which have made the platform easier to use. And because of that, we're actually seeing really big user growth globally and locally. Um, We're also seeing people are spending more time on the platform. So there's more people using the platform every single day, both in Australia and globally, and they're spending more time on the platform. And our video views have increased by 225%. So we know that they just want more and more video content as well. So it's really exciting. I think in um, you know the, the almost three years that I've been at Twitter, this is by far one of the most exciting times to be here. Um, live obviously has also really grown in our space. You know, live streaming on our platform is just, we launched that, um, and I'm talking about our premium content model, so things that usually include broadcast rights, so sports games or award shows like the Grammys or the Billboard Music Awards. We launched that less than a year ago, and just this year alone, we've live streamed so far more than 800 premium content hours and 450 events. So wow. we've, we've just seen the live streaming space really take off where we're, we're also basically just smashing our competition out of the park where we're averaging about 10 times more of an audience than our competitors are. So it's a great space for us to be in. I'm really, really excited about what Twitter's doing in the live and the video space. And I just think it's, you know, it's, it's really awesome to be here right now. Yeah. I did want to chat to you about the um, live video on Twitter, but when you say competitors, who are Twitter's competitors? I mean, you know, in the video space, look, it's pretty obvious, like YouTube, Facebook, um, even places like Amazon and Twitch are in there. But we're just, we're really just doing such a great job in the live streaming space that we're, it's a space that we're totally owning right now. That's awesome. So I I did read that video is Twitter's largest revenue generating ad format as well. Um, So what can you tell me about the live video strategy when it comes to music for Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we we had some really big announcements recently. So we announced just a few weeks ago a global deal with Live Nation where we're live streaming concerts. We kicked that off with the Zac Brown band recently. So you'll definitely see us growing in that space. There's a few different ways that you can go live on the platform. So there is our premium content model. Then we also have Periscope Producer, which allows you to broadcast live from any HD broadcast cameras. And then we, of course, have the kind of everyday user model, which you can open up the app and just start live streaming to the world from right within the app. So you'll definitely see us growing in this space. I mean, we're seeing 
artists use it to kind of break down that wall between themselves and fans. We're seeing, um, as I said, like kind of the bigger companies like Live Nation embracing it to broadcast to the world. We're covering award shows. We did the MTV Awards recently, the Grammys, billboards. Like we're just growing so quickly in this space. So I think you can expect to see it a lot more. Huge, huge. Okay, and then just on the musicians using Twitter for video, does Twitter have licensing deals with rights holders for music that is streamed on the site? So it's actually a case-by-case basis where that responsibility falls on our partner. So, um, you know, if we were to work with, say, uh, Sony Music, then Twitter, as part of that partnership, Sony would be responsible for clearing the rights. So we, we put that responsibility on our partner in most of the cases. Gotcha. Tell me about how artists use Twitter versus how artists should be using Twitter. I say that because I know that there are a lot of artists using Twitter to repost their Instagram posts, and they're also not really engaging with fans either. <laughs> that's that's true. Um, I, I mean, music, music, music artists on the platform are still using it to do, I'd say, a few top-line things. So connecting with their fans, using it as kind of a digital press release, so announcing something, again, like tour dates, album releases, something like that, Um, and also generating revenue. We can generate uh, revenue for artists as well. To your point, um, what are they doing wrong? I think a, a common misconception sometimes with people that are new on Twitter is that they can tweet once and not tweet again for a year and see results and you know it would be like meeting somebody and shaking their hand once and expecting them to call you every day you know yep. um and they'll say oh well I tweeted once but nothing happened it's like well, so what's the to, point yeah you have to work it out a little bit more than that um so I, I'd say that they're doing that wrong and yes you're right not tweeting rich content um and when I say rich content yes like videos um photos gifts whatever that is we see native photo, photos and videos bump up your engagement on average by about 70%. That's huge. So it's something really simple that can just really help you improve your presence on the platform. We also recommend tweeting you know, two times a day, two or three times a day, and um, obviously engaging with your fans. So retweet them sometimes, you know, like their tweets. So again, giving it back, you know, an artist might tweet once, but then never engage with their fans. And and that isn't going to work really either. I think sometimes people overthink it. Um, Be authentic, but don't push yourself to go somewhere that's not comfortable for you. If you look at um, the top people on Twitter around the world, they're all music artists. So in Australia, eight of our top 10 are music artists and globally, eight of our top 10 our music artists, um, Katy Perry just hit 100 million followers on Twitter, the first ever to do that, which was huge both for her team and for us. So, you know, when you're when you're using it properly and you understand how to use it, it can generate enormous results. But I think it's the artists who are new to the platform and don't kind of make the effort in the beginning to understand it that struggle. Yeah. The Industry Observer podcast is presented by APRA AMCOS. The Performing and Mechanical Rights Organisation is a proud supporter of music industry charity Support Act. Support Act provides confidential financial assistance, advice and practical assistance to music professionals of all kinds, everyone from songwriters to roadies. If you need assistance or advice or wish to donate, visit supportact.org.au. 
which Australian artists, aside from Cody Simpson, of course, are just smashing it on Twitter? Like, who should artists look to to see how it's done? Yeah, there's some interesting ones. So obviously, the Five Seconds of Summer Boys are yep. still in the top. Yep. Um, Troy Sivan, he was amazing. He basically tripled his growth last year. So now wow. he's in the top 10. Um, there's also some kind of weird ones that are not household names, but make it in there, like Luke Brooks, for example. Um, he's in, in the, well, I, actually, I think he slid to number 11, but okay. he's been in the top 10 <laughs> for a long time. Um, obviously, people like Lord. Um, and I think they all have one thing in common, which is, again, they're authentic and they're doing rich content. Um, if you look at Five Sauce, for example, they're engaging with their fans all the time. Um, Cody's engaging with his fans all the time. Troy's engaging with his fans all the time. You don't have to be as incredibly active as they are, but the rich content is really a key to success. The video, the gifts, the multi-photos, um, and you know, finding that voice, finding a voice is really important. One of the things that we hear a lot from music fans on Twitter is they love Twitter because they know it's actually the artist tweeting. So Twitter is a very personal thing for music artists. Unlike the other platforms, they most of the time do not let management or agents anywhere near their Twitter account because they know it's live and public and they don't want it seen as a promotional tool, so to speak. It has to be in their voice. And I think that's why we see music artists on Twitter you know, generate three times the engagement on our platform that they do on our competitors because they it's them. It's not a promotional tool. And I think that that's really important too. Yeah. I remember um, I was at a, it was the AMP um, Awards and Scott McLaughlin, who used to manage Lord, was talking and he said that he got in big trouble once when he tweeted on her behalf and he said something like, that's dope. I know that he used the word dope. Yeah. And she, you know, she told him what was up she said that it's not cool don't yeah. ever tweet on my behalf because she knows how important it is to her from her fans to hear exactly from her absolutely yeah. i've heard that from i've heard that same story from a few other yeah, managers oh, funny. <laughs> so they've gotten oh, in that's trouble great. so yeah absolutely okay um so you mentioned katie perry's um now got 100 million yeah. followers on twitter it is huge so yeah let's talk about the rumors about her twitter bots there is a couple of reports out there that say that only 30 percent of her followers are real yeah, absolutely not true. Obviously, we have a lot of systems in place to filter out fake followers. And we certainly looked at Katie's account before she was hitting 100 million. And I can assure you those 100 million are true. Um, one thing that also happens is a lot of times those audits, they pick up accounts that are just not actively tweeting. And a difference with our platform is you can consume all of the information and not be sending tweets. So sometimes those pick those up as fake accounts, but they actually are 100% real where the user is visiting the site every day and consuming the information, but just not actually tweeting. So you have to be careful with those reports because they're always inaccurate and of course we have a lot of systems in place to make sure that those followers are real yeah so those bots with inverted commas are either shy or lazy yeah <laughs> like exactly. they're, they're not tweeting exactly. or they're too scared to tweet <laughs> okay so speaking of rumors there are rumors that twitter um has toyed with the idea of moving to a subscription model for video content um what i know that you can't speak to those rumors but what is your opinion on that kind of model for video yeah. um, on a social media platform yeah well i can say that you know twitter 
is always going to be live and public and conversational. So there's no way that we would ever move to a fully subscription-based model. I can certainly say that. Um, I think personally, the subscription space is really interesting to explore. And um, you know, I'd, I'd never say never with anything. Um, but again, I think the basis of social media in general is to reach every person on the planet and to join that community. So I can't imagine that any platform would ever become a, a fully subscription model. But you know, I do think, look, Twitter is always growing, and I, I joke around about the fact that like six months at Twitter, it, nothing's ever the same because we're moving and improving so quickly. So. Who knows what could happen? But again, like, you know, our goal is for every person in the world to be using Twitter. And so it would never be a subscription, a fully subscription model. Mm, okay, cool. And yeah, let's talk about Twitter moments for a second. I want to know how artists can be using it to build hype around their releases. I personally don't use Twitter moments. Yeah. I, I see sometimes it comes up into my feed and it's cool to flick through, especially if some, something big happened um, for news. So it's great for me to be informed by something that happened around a news, a news piece. But um, I don't see many artists using it or maybe I'm not following many artists that use it. Yes, there's a lot of artists using it. Yeah. So I guess you are not following them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll give you some examples too. But for anyone who doesn't know, Moments is a curation of tweets and highlighting a collection of tweets. Mm -hmm. Anyone in the world, any Twitter user now in the world can make a moment. Um, and we also have an editorial team who creates moments every day to be surfacing the best of Twitter. But any Twitter user could also make moments. So to give you an example of just this week, um, Imagine Dragons came out with a new album. They did a Twitter listening party where they explained, they, they played the track and then they explained their inspiration behind the track. Then they made a moment to collect those all together so that anyone could easily flip through that moment and see you know, the whole album essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so there are definitely a ton of artists using it. Um, we also, Moments is integrated with both SoundCloud and Spotify. So if you tweet a Spotify link to a track or a SoundCloud link, it will appear with a player card in Twitter. So you can play it directly within Twitter and the track will also get docked so you can keep scrolling. That's awesome. And that gets incorporated into Moments. So you could essentially just scroll through an album, you know, in Moments. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, it's absolutely being used by music artists. It's a great way to follow a story on Twitter and to just see, you know, the best content that's out there. So would you recommend an artist to use Twitter moments for their album release? Are there, is there any other um, key moments, key moments um, <laughs> in their career that you think that they could utilize it for? There's so many different ways to use it. Um, we've seen artists use it when they've hosted, say, an impromptu, impromptu Q&A, where then, again, they collect those so people can just swipe through and see all of the answers at once. Um, even things like they might, maybe they've had a show that night and so they tweet five tweets, like one from backstage, one, you know, from the show, one from after to tell the story of that 24 hours or that night. That's kind of a general guide of how to use it. If you think about the moment itself as telling a story. So what is that story that you want to tell through that collection of tweets, but you can use it for anything really. That's brilliant. Yeah, I feel like Seventh Street Media could use that with the artist inf interviews that we do. Absolutely, you know, you could do a track by track. Yeah, so you could pre-film it and then upload them as moments. 
so or, you, or do you have well, to do it moments through? Moments is a collection of tweets. So you'd, so you'd have, have to, to tweet, tweet them all first. first. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you form the collection. And then you create the moment. And then you tweet the moment out, which yeah. is the collection of the tweets. Yeah. So you, could you do it as like um, live videos, a collection of yep. lives? Yep. That's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. Cool. <laughs> Getting some great inside knowledge here. Um, that's already readily available. Yep, <laughs> just, exactly. Just needed it's to Google really it. It's really easy. It's basically <laughs> dragging and dropping. So, I mean, it, it takes like five, ten minutes to make a moment. It's not a heavy, heavily intensive process. Yeah. I think maybe that was my issue is that I thought that it was this big, scary thing that wasn't easy to use. Don't be afraid yeah. of moments, Poppy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not scary. Conquer yeah. your fear of moments. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about social media trends of this year. I mean, as you know, uh, someone who is so respected in the music technology sector, I'm so interested to know what you foresee will be the um, technology, music technology trends of this year. Yeah, again, I think it's all about video and live. I think those are the two spaces where everyone is interested and, and users just across the board want more and more video, more and more live content. I think one change that I've also seen recently and it's, you know, in some ways sad that we're at this point, but also shows the power of social media. It's such a community on social media now. And when you see something bad happen, like Manchester, for example, that community just instantly comes together. And there's just so much power in that. And I, I was sitting in bed, you know, the morning of the One Love Manchester concert, watching it live streamed on Twitter and tears came to my eyes because... Mm -hmm just to see this outpouring and reading all the tweets underneath it, it was such an incredible experience. And to think that we can surface that now is so powerful. And I think that community is so important and nobody feels alone anymore. And people are reaching out to each other and helping each other in that space. And when something bad does happen, it's almost instinctive now to kind of support each other through that. And I think that that's really amazing. Um, and yeah, again, I just think video video and live are, are kind of the most powerful things right now that the users are just demanding so much of. Hmm. I saw a report this morning about how Twitter can predict a riot before the police can, hmm. like based on, um, based on hashtags and based on tweets that happen yeah. that yeah. you could almost see it bubbling before the police yeah. are aware of it. Yeah. I mean, it's so empowering. If you think of things like the women's marches around mm. the world, all of those tweets that were coming up and people were just holding impromptu marches. If there wasn't a formal one in their area, they'd send a tweet and say like, hey, I'm in Alice Springs. You yeah. know, does anyone want to get together and show our support? Like those kind of things were happening around the world, which was incredible. So yes, I could definitely see that happen. I mean, I remember um, the earthquake in Japan a few years ago. There were people buried under the rubble that had their f smartphones on them that tweeted their location with a hashtag and the Red Cross and the rescue crews found them because their tweets told them where they were. So there's mm -hmm. so many powerful ways to use it um, in you know tough times and even just like we're talking about inspirational times like the Women's March. I, I think that's something that's really changed in, in recent times with the platform, um, which I think is just incredible to see. Yeah, it's it's really astonishing. And it brings people together, which is probably my favorite part about yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have, um, we, I, I remember um, the baby animals were in here and I really want to do a story on this one day. But thinking of that, there's been a lot of Twitter romances where people have like met their husband or wife through tweets. And Aww. so... Oh, I, 
can't remember his name. This is so embarrassing. But the guy from Baby Animals, he met his wife on Twitter. She no. was a fan. Oh. And she was, like, tweeting at him. And then he tweeted her back. And then they met in person. And they started dating. And now they're married. And wow. there's people like this all over the world. It's actually, like, pretty amazing. So there's also these crazy romances that are Wow. That's lovely. And so encouraging for all the fans out there. Know, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little it's too a encouraging. level of music yeah, discovery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. So finally, this is a question I do ask a lot of industry executives just because I find fascinating um what's the best career blunder you've ever made and I say best because the error that you made that led to the best outcome yes so I was very young um one of my first jobs was I was a junket reporter so I was one of one of those reporters who would get flown around the world to press junkets and have to interview the celebrities and the talent that were there what a terrible job it was really really fun <laughs> it was one of those jobs where sometimes I would wake up and go I cannot believe I'm oh, getting paid to do this amazing um so there was I can't remember what movie it was but Katie Holmes was in a movie and I was walking into the interview and her publicist said to me oh this is really exciting time because um Katie this is the first time Katie's getting paid over a million dollars for a film and I was like, oh, wow, that's, you know, I should ask her about that. That's, that's great. So we sat down and we did the whole interview and we're coming to the middle or so. So it wasn't even the end. And I said, oh, you know, one thing I want to ask you about, congratulations. You've hit a new milestone. It's so exciting that you've kind of broken the million dollar mark. And she had this confused look on her face and she was like, what, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you know, that, that you're making over a million dollars for the first time, you know no more Dawson's Creek salaries, ha, 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 whatever. <laughs> and her face was just looking, and she goes, who told you that? Why would you say that? Who told you that? And I said, oh, you're, I think it was your publicist outside. And she was like, well, that's not true. I'm not getting paid anywhere near a million dollars for this movie. <gasps> and, of course, that kind of changed her attitude for the rest of the interview. Yeah. And the lesson I learned from that was always do your own research. <laughs> so I had, you know, taken somebody else's word and decided to talk about it. And ever since that day, I was like, I'm going to make sure I'm backing up my facts yeah. nonstop yeah, and doing yeah. my own research. And, yeah, that totally changed things. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and it's and it's so important to do that. Like, I mean, gosh, I think every journalist can attest to a horrible blunder like that. But, yeah. Check thrice. Yeah. That's my yeah, rule. Exactly. Check thrice. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. I felt cringy for you. I was yeah. kind of waiting for a happy ending as well, but no. Yeah, no, it wasn't really a happy ending, although um it was happy when I walked out of the room yeah. that I didn't have to talk to her anymore. <laughs> never made never screwed up an interview like that again, oh. that was for sure. Oh wonderful. Jenny, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Industry Observer Podcast. For more content like this, subscribe on iTunes or head to theindustryobserver.com.au, Australasia's new destination for music industry news, discussion, charts, and more. This podcast is presented by APRA AMCOS. More than 90,000 music creators rely on APRA AMCOS to get paid when their music is used. They license businesses to use music and distribute the royalties to their members. APRA AMCOS, made by music. <laughs> <laughs>